plenty of money. My wife is a French lady. She was Mademoiselle Clotilde de Lorge when I was first presented to her at her father's house in France. I fell in love with her. I really don't know why. It must have been because I was perfectly idle and had nothing else to do at the time. Or it might have been because all my friends said she was the very last woman whom I ought to think of marrying. On the surface, I must own, there is nothing in common between Mrs. Fairbank and me. She is tall, she is dark, she is nervous, excitable, romantic. In all her opinions, she proceeds to extremes. What could such a woman see in me? What could I see in her? I know no more than you do. In some mysterious manner, we exactly suit each other. We have been man and wife for ten years, and our only regret is that we have no children. I don't know what you may think. I call that, upon the whole, a happy marriage. So much for ourselves. The next question is, what has brought us into the inn-yard, and why am I obliged to turn groom and hold the horses? We live for the most part in France, at the country house in which my wife and I first met. Occasionally, by way of variety, we pay visits to my friends in England. We are paying one of those visits now. Our host is an old college friend of mine, possessed of a fine estate in Somersetshire, and we have arrived at his house, called Farley Hall, toward the close of the hunting season. On the day in which I am now writing, destined to be a memorable day in our calendar, the hounds meet at Farley Hall. Mrs. Fairbank and I are mounted on two of the best horses in my friend's stables. We are quite unworthy of that distinction, for we know nothing and care nothing about hunting. On the other hand, we delight in riding, and enjoy the breezy spring morning and the fair and fertile English landscape surrounding us on each side. While the hunt prospers, we follow the hunt, but when a check occurs, when time passes and patience is sorely tired, when the bewildered dogs run hither and thither, and strong language falls from the lips of exasperated sportsmen, we fail to take any further interest in the proceedings. We turn our horses' heads in the direction of a grassy lane, delightfully shaded by trees. We trot merrily along the lane and find ourselves on an open common. We gallop across the common and follow the windings of a second lane. We cross a brook. We pass through a village. We emerge into pastoral solitude among the hills. The horses toss their heads and neigh to each other and enjoy it as much as we do. The hunt is forgotten. We are as happy as a couple of children. We were actually singing a French song, when in one moment our merriment comes to an end. My wife's horse sets one of his forefeet on a loose stone and stumbles. His rider's ready hand saves him from falling, but at the first attempt he makes to go on, the sad truth shows itself. A tendon is strained, and the horse is lame. What is to be done? We are strangers in a lonely part of the country. Look where we may, we see no signs of human habitation. There is nothing for it but to take the bridle road up the hill and try what we can discover on the other side. I transfer the saddles and mount my wife on my own horse. He is not used to carry a lady. He misses the familiar pressure of a man's legs on either side of him. He fidgets and starts and kicks up dust. I follow on foot, at a respectful distance from his heels, leading the lame horse. Is there a more miserable object on the face of creation than a lame horse? 
I have seen lame men and lame dogs who were cheerful creatures, but I never yet saw a lame horse who didn't look heartbroken over his own misfortune. For half an hour my wife capers and curvets sideways along the bridle road. I trudge on behind her, and the heartbroken horse halts behind me. Hard by the top of the hill, our melancholy procession passes a Somersetshire peasant at work in a field. I summon the man to approach us, and the man looks at me stolidly from the middle of the field without stirring a step. I ask at the top of my voice how far it is to Farley Hall. The Somersetshire peasant answers at the top of his voice, Fourteen mile, give me a drop of cider. I translate, for my wife's benefit, from the Somersetshire language into the English language. We are fourteen miles from Farley Hall, and our friend in the field desires to be rewarded for giving us that information.